All right, welcome to Making the Argument. Before we get started, I have a very important announcement. We have a brand new deal with GoodRanchers.com. That's right. If you go into GoodRanchers and you use promo code Nick and you sign up for one of their subscriptions, you're not only going to get $15 off, but do you remember the old deal where you got two pounds of ground beef with each order? Well, we just upped the game. That's right. You can choose top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon now. Every single order you get on that subscription is going to come with free. Top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, or bacon. You get to choose which one if you use promo code Nick. And again, $15 off on top of that. That's a savings of $480 in meat by signing up for one of those subscriptions. Not to mention the fact that if you are looking for a gift for someone that is impossible to shop for, you can go on to GoodRanchers.com and get one of their brand new gift boxes. Now, this is a limited time only offer. It's part of their overall Black Friday special. So go on to GoodRanchers.com to get more details. Sign up for promo code Nick and to get that deal and let's get on with the show. Hi, this is Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. We want to thank you for joining us. Special on-location interview today with uh, a guy that you need to know. And if you haven't checked out his channel, you're going to as soon as you're done listening to this one. But I'm here with uh, Rob Montz from Good Kid, Good Kid Productions. And um, we're going to get into the bottom of, of why he's doing what he's doing, what his own background is. But I want to do a quick plug for, for two of the videos that I saw. The first one I got introduced to was this From Incel to Icon. And if you don't know what an incel is, don't feel bad, most people don't, but look it up. It basically says from being an impotent to being an icon. It's the story of Ulysses S. Grant and its five principles. And Rob, you walk us through this, this story of Ulysses S. Grant's life and it was really interesting. And I get done watching this, I'm like, that's really cool. I wonder what else, what other videos Good Kid Productions has. And I see the real story behind Kanye West's presidential run. So we went from Ulysses S. Grant and how to basically be a man and overcome problems to, and here's what shocked me about it. I was equally interested throughout watching both of these videos because there, there was, you know, the, the, these, the principles rang true through the stories that you were telling. And, and again, one of them was kind of more this historic narrative through the Civil War. One was a lot more pop culture, but you, you came in with some insights that I had never considered. So here's what I wanted to, I want to get into both of those. But before we get into that, where do you come from, man? Like, we're like, how did this start? Yeah. Uh, Yo, know, I'm just a Southern California kid with a dream. What can I say? <laughs> right, Rapidly something. approaching 40 years old. I got the dad pudge. You know, come on now. <laughs> been described as a micro-influencer, what else do you need? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, I run a video production shop here in Richmond. We just moved here in January. Mm -hmm. We spent 15 years up in the Bellway. I, I moved to Washington, D.C. two weeks after I graduated from college. I had a degree in philosophy. Mm -hmm. I had a uh, extreme sense of, uh, of self-worth. Mm -hmm and was completely devoid of any marketable skills. So my 20s <laughs> were a little rough, You degree in philosophy man. didn't set you up for like No one ever system? asked to read my thesis, bro. <laughs> I'm still shocked by it. 20s were a rough, rough, anxiety-drenched patch in which I was attempting to carve out some meaning for myself. 
because it turns out that the formal institutions of education in this country basically act as if adult life doesn't exist. Mm. And you're mostly just trained to uh, please adults and do homework assignments. Yeah. I'd always had this inkling to do documentary film. Okay. Now, why, why is that? I... I mean, whatever, reality is infinitely fascinating. Okay. So that'd be cool to be able to make money just satiating my curiosity. Yeah, right? yeah. And I like, I like beautiful things, and I like cool ideas. Yeah. And documentary is a good medium to combine those, I guess. So what was the first work you were doing right out of? So before you could actually get into you know, doing everything you really wanted to do, what was some of the first work you were doing right out of school with your degree in philosophy? <laughs> uh, you, at what everyone does who's over-credentialed, um, indiscriminately ambitious, mm -hmm. meaning like I want the world to affirm me, but I don't actually know, I don't actually know what I want to contribute to the world to make, make, it, make myself worth affirming. Yeah. Um, so over-credentialed, aimlessly ambitious. I did what everybody does once they move to Washington, D.C., which is get into corporate communications. <laughs> <laughs> using, my using some of my like, uh, ability to weave together words to advance uh, various causes of mm -hmm. uh, questionable morality, maybe. <laughs> and then in Leedy, I left a, a job there to work at a, a communication shop where I primarily did op-ed writing. Okay. So my background is mostly in being trained in the intellectual crucible, which is op-ed pages for top 50 newspapers. Mm -hmm. So I would say from like a craftsmanship standpoint, a lot of my ability, I think, insofar as I have it to like condense sophisticated ideas into punchy language comes from that training in my late 20s, okay. which is trying to write op-eds that the Wall Street Journal will publish. So in under 800 words, earn our attention and then make a compelling argument, which is kind of what I do now, but just in a, in a medium that's better suited for my interests. But I had this vague interest. I didn't want to go to film school because I was skeptical that more schooling would cure what ailed me, right? Mm -hmm. Like schooling hadn't really cured a lot of other things. And so I got a fellowship from an organization called the Moving Picture Institute, which yep. is all about financing kind of liberty-oriented filmmakers. Mm -hmm. My very first job in DC had been at the Cato Institute. Okay. And I told them, okay, I told them two ridiculous things. A, I'm a philosophy major with um, an excessive ego and no technical or marketable skills whatsoever who wants to teach himself how to make documentary films. And B, I want my first film to be about the North Korean propaganda apparatus. Okay. And I wanted to involve me traveling to North Korea. And that's what I did. So, so you I went traveled to North, North Korea, Korea in the summer of 2021. And the product was a short film called Juche Strong. Yeah. Which is like a, it's very much like the blueprint and the template for what you saw today mm -hmm. was there. I think in trying to make cool, provocative, deconstructive arguments, um, using rap beats <laughs> and using and putting it on topics that tend to be misunderstood by the kind of broader conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And so what was that experience like? So you actually went physically went to North Korea Tropical yeah. wonderland of, you know, Yeah, I had pizza Asia. in Pyongyang. Wow. I had some, How was that? I, you, you're allowed to spend 10 days there okay. as an American. Yeah. When, you, when you arrive in Pyongyang, you get two handlers. And from what I've heard, this is standard issue practice. One of them is very nice. Yeah. So the one we had, 
If he'd been born in Oklahoma City today, he'd be an extremely popular Presbyterian youth minister. Like, <laughs> gotcha. Super, super nice, yeah. very talkative, lovely. Yeah. And the other person was a late 50-something woman who pretended she didn't know English. She was very clearly there just to like That's make bad sure everybody stayed in line. So you had good cop, bad cop. And, and yeah, like, of course you know your hotel room's bugged, you know, you're, you're taped everywhere you go, so that would... No, but the real question on everyone's mind whenever they go into a totalitarian dictatorship mm -hmm. is, what was the pizza like in Pyongyang? <laughs> uh, not as horrible as you think, but not good. Yeah, not okay. good. They, but I mean, the, the doc was about um, something I think remains deeply understood about North Korea, which is how the propaganda apparatus they set up tells a very particular story. Mm -hmm. There's very specific mechanics to it. Mm -hmm. That story is tied into um, some very specific features of Korean culture yeah. and also human nature. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason this country has spent the last 30 years defying the Western world's predictions that it was about to collapse mm -hmm. is because of that propaganda apparatus, mm -hmm. because the Pyongyang regime feeds its people a story that is good at keeping them loyal. It's not yeah. the only reason. Yeah. It's not the only reason. Mm -hmm. They do have labor camps there, right? I mean, yeah, they, yeah. Right? <laughs> there's definitely a stick to go with the propaganda. But I mean, one of the more fascinating features, like Pyongyang has fewer cops per person mm -hmm. than Chicago does. Yeah. So a lot of the enforcement is done by citizens. Well, let, let me ask you something on this, because we, we were, earlier before we started the show, we were talking about Theodore Dalrymple. And Dalrymple has a quote where he, he kind of equates propaganda with political correctness. And the, the way he does the quote, I'm gonna butcher it, but it's close enough. He basically says the more he studied Soviet propaganda, the more he came to the realization that it was not meant to inform, it was meant to intimidate or humiliate. And yeah. therefore, the less it corresponded with reality, the more effective it was. And what his conclusion was is that if you can get someone to first ignore and then later repeat things that they know are obvious lies, because you make them a party of evil, and he said, a country of emasculated liars is easy to control. Right. But right. There, there was this, you can, you can tell as he's talking about, there's this whole sense that it, it's not just, people think of propaganda as, oh, these are just stupid, obviously lies with you know, fairly good production behind them, maybe. When in reality, it's like, no, you're, you're, creating, you're creating a culture around an idea for which denying that idea comes with very, very real social, professional, economic consequences. Yeah. And, and buying into the ideal comes with reward. And I don't know if you want to call it the, you know, I, I love Big Brother or whatnot, but it, it, it's so much more complex than just a simple, oh, how can people believe something so absurd? Yeah, it's, the point is, we don't want to make you say two plus two equals five because yeah. we want you to believe two plus two is five. Yeah. We want to know we can get you to say two plus yeah. two is five, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know, I mean, I think that's a more accurate description of the mechanics of elite media in America in 2021 mm -hmm. than it is of North Korea. Really? <laughs> I mean, I don't know where we want to go. I think 2021, they're like, it's like everyone is telling you Robin D'Angelo and white fragility analysis is, is a work of moral genius. Yeah. <laughs> America is an institutionally racist place. It's, yeah. it's still white supremacist, it's a yeah. patriarchy. Um, uh, police are regularly slaughtering unarmed youths all the time just yeah. for fun yeah. and you're told to just say that and and endorse that and a lot of it does feel like we're gonna make you say two plus two is five we yeah. don't care what your facts are yeah 
Um, the North Korean, I don't, I don't think it's as, there's part of it, but part of it is also because they tell a story that's, that's very well constructed and well engineered, mm. you know? Mm. There's, um, they tap into co uh, Confucian culture, yeah. which is about the kind of holy patriarch the of the family. Yeah. Um, and they basically fuse that with Soviet collectivism. Mm -hmm. But they've made a point, particularly over the last 20 years, to steadily excise any Soviet iconography yeah. from basically all of their formal propaganda products, right? Well, and, and, and Juche, I mean, obviously it's, it's really hard to nail that down, but I mean, it's really rooted in the idea of self-reliance as a nation, and, and you, can, you can kind of sympathize with where they're coming from. I mean, if you were, if you were North Korea at that time, or, or really just the Korean, between World War II, Japanese the Korean imperialism. War, Japanese imperialism, everything that was going on, there, 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 has, there is a sense of, I would think, pride in this idea of, hey, self-reliance, we don't need anybody else, we don't have to depend on anybody else, and, and we're going to, you know, our own hard work and labor and cooperation and dedication to this, this philosophy um, is going to see us through. And, and the only thing that will you know, destroy us as a people is if we don't adhere to this philosophy. And so questioning anything that is put out is not merely, you know, a, a simple debate about the amount of rice that was grown in a particular year. I mean, it, it seems like so much of their culture, so much of the North Korean propaganda is built around creating that sort of culture where it's not just, you know, d dependence, but a, I mean, I don't know, is it a feeling of belonging? To the state? Or? Yeah, I mean, also, there's an element of we don't want the pure Korean bloodline to be mm -hmm. polluted by Yankee imperialist rapists. Okay. So there's like the idea mm -hmm. of sexual predation yeah. of American and to a lesser extent Japanese soldiers has always oh. been very prominent in the propaganda that they do. Oh, wow. And like that, it's like even if you go to South Korea, which yeah. is a flourishing capitalist metropolitan country. Oh, yeah. yeah. If people think that racism is bad in America, they should go into a South Korean boardroom, right? It's like it's like ultra racist, yeah. and it's not just racist against white people. Yeah. It's it's like racist against other Asians, yeah. right? It's like yeah. we have reasons to hate the Japanese and the yeah. Chinese. Yeah. So this idea of Korean nationalism and xenophobia is like deeply, deeply woven into the cultural mm -hmm. fabric of the peninsula. So that, in combination with sort of a Confucian conception of the state, yeah. melded with like a collectivist. It's collectivist, communist, kind of political economic structure, and then you place that within the Grand War narrative. Yeah, and again, yeah. I, like this is not a hot take to say that Grand War narratives can be deeply inspiring for, oh, yeah. for the Homo sapien, right? Yeah. And that there's it's perpetual conflict mm -hmm. with the invaders. Mm -hmm. Like that little cocktail has, like the proof is in the pudding, man. Yeah. Like people were, so I went there in 2012. My trip got pushed back six months mm -hmm. because the month I was first supposed to go out there is when Kim Jong-il died. Yeah, right? oh my God. And we got to see what happened right then after Jong-il dies is exactly what happened when Il-sung died, when yeah. his dad died, yeah. which is everybody in the intelligentsia predicting that the regime was about to collapse. Yeah. It's like, how could they possibly do without their, their formative anchor personality? Yeah. It's like, who's Kim Jong-un? This is like some dork who used to worship Michael Jordan at yeah. some Swedish boarding school. Yeah, like, yeah. He's like some tubby weirdo who just loves lobster and Air Jordans. Like, yeah. how is he possibly gonna run the state? Yeah. Like, this, it's over for them. Yeah. Same things happen, people, pe same things were happening 20 years ago yeah. where they were saying that Kim Jong-il 
was like mentally handicapped and retarded. Yeah. And there was no way that he could take over for his dad, who yeah. was like the true formative personality of Korea. Mm -hmm. Same things, proven 100% wrong, wow. right? And there's never any, I mean, this is kind of standard issue now. Yeah. There's never any accountability. There's never any soul searching. Like yeah. why is, is it that we're getting this country so wrong? Yeah. And yeah. I think an essential element is like the Korean mechanics. So anyway, that's the first doc that I did. Yeah, I'm very proud of it. I mean, yeah. it took me two years when I was working a full-time job to make it. Wow. It's a technical embarrassment now. I mean, I, I shot it with the camera that's probably a third as powerful as the camera we're shooting this podcast <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know anything about sound. Yeah. But like the essence of the swag and the style that I continue to try to infuse my work with is all there. So you got you got that you 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 got that documentary under your belt. You've you've got one now. You've did it. And let's face it, it's not like you picked your first documentary on bees, right? Like you picked North Korea, which hey, kudos. I've been to Korea. I've never been to North Korea. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you go to the DMZ? Not, no, I didn't actually. But I was there. I was actually there with. Army Special Forces when I was still in the service. Yeah. And I was training Korean Special Missions Group. I was training the South Korean Special Operations yeah. guys. But um, so you, you get you get that done. So what so how does that that documentary is I mean, is that is there there and then there's a hiatus or do you immediately go right into that, that gets me hired at Reason. Okay. So that's where Reason magazine, which is the was very it's a libertarian news magazine started yeah. in the 70s, but they were very early to YouTube. Yeah. They, they started with the help of Drew Carey, of all people. In like 2009, <laughs> they started a YouTube channel. Yeah. And they, at the time that I started working there, had a couple hundred thousand subscribers. Yeah, yeah. And so I spent a year there doing deep dives into equally morally repellent features of existence like the uh, DC streetcar. <laughs> uh, and other like excessive government regulations and yeah. controls. And then from there, I worked for We The Internet, which is basically uh, Moving Picture Institute, who financed Juche. They started their YouTube channel, and I worked on contract with them. Yeah. I did a series about the campus free speech issue. Okay. Um, and the very first installment of that was about my alma mater, Brown. Yeah. That blew up and generated other opportunities. Yeah. And just that accumulation of work at the end of last year, got us an opportunity to build our own channel. So, so you've you've gone through the college experience, philosophy degree, trying to make your way in the world. You, yeah. you land at a you know working with Cato, working with Reason. You get your first documentary in, or you're you're able to do this other stuff with. And you're right, Reason was one of the first to really jump out there on YouTube yeah, yeah. and make a channel for themselves. And then, you know, your wife, your kids, you got your farm in rural Virginia now. Come on, people see this and they say, that guy right there, he's a rugged woodsman. I'm just going to say. He's a I, man of the soil. I, look we, at him. Look at these calluses, bro. We were I'm talking nice on the, the phone. Chainsaw. I mean, I, I, look, I, I lived <laughs> in the country a while. I, I wear my cowboy boots. I've got a. You, you know, got the tan, though. I don't really have the well, tan either, man. Well, the first time we're talking on the phone, I'm like, I love this guy. I love what he has to say. This is, you know, just the work he's doing. I watched one of your videos. I was like, this is really good. And you're talking about living on this acreage, and I'm like, I'm gonna look this guy up. I was like, <laughs> who's this hipster guy standing in front of Rob, right? <laughs> like, because that was the first. But, Come on, man. But that's what I, again, one of the things I find um, intriguing about the work, again, the work that you did is, is I was watching, again, like I said, I never expected in a thousand years to go to the same YouTube channel and find an equally compelling video on Ulysses S. Grant. And Kanye West, both great men, right? I just, both I did not, men. I did not expect that. 
But I, I want to dig in a little deeper. Now that we know, now that the audience knows kind yeah. of like where you're coming from, you know, and, and again, kind of this dedication to individual liberty, personal responsibility, being able to live your life the way you want. Yeah. Um, and, and a dedication to like, you know, what's true, right? Real, real discourse. What, explain a little bit about the whole incel to icon with Ulysses S. Grant and five principles for living your life. Wow, bro. Because again, I, I, Jordan Peterson, we were talking about Jordan. Yeah. He's done a lot of work on, on really, and a lot of it, it's, I think it speaks to everybody, but a lot of it has resonated with young men because they kind of feel like, what the hell? And, and there's, we live in a culture where I, I feel like there's this, this combination of woke extremism combined with what victim category do you fit in? Are you oppressor? Are you oppressed? And there's so much emphasis on it's all out of your control. And then here's Jordan Peterson saying, no, it is with, the, not everything's in your control, but some things no. are, so get up and fix the things Make that are. Make your bed. And then you do this, this video on Ulysses S. Grant, and again, people see Grant and they think, President of the United States, head of the Union Army, the guy that finally bought they Lady Hill. Like, they don't know what we Tell know. Tell us the other side, man. They don't Tell know us what the we other know. Side. Yeah. And, I, and we talked about this off camera, yeah. that he's, the fact that he's not a cartoon, yeah. that he's not a deity. Yeah. That he's not a 2D titan. Yeah. That he was a broke, lost loser yeah. for a sustained period of time. Yeah. Makes him all the more compelling. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, when I'm in the initial phases of these docs, I mean, so I'm not sure this is, I'd always been obsessed, I've been obsessed with him since reading the Ron Chernow book about him, which yeah. is like the yeah. definitive, it's 900 pages, it's about Grant, and it's a total page turner. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And you learn about his biographical, his story arc. Yeah. Right? And then we moved to Richmond in January. Yeah. Again, most of it is my wife's idea. She has, as in all things, has been totally vindicated by our decision <laughs> to leave a bland Fairfax cul-de-sac yeah. for, mm. for beauty, like for the beautiful Virginia wilderness, yeah. right? And then I find out that the cabin that Grant conducts the siege of Petersburg is 12 miles from my new house. Mm -hmm. And I'm surrounded by all these sign markers for essential battles in the Civil War. Yeah. And I think the one thing that you get better at the longer you do a creative craft like this mm -hmm. is you get better at trusting your instincts. Mm -hmm. Back when I'm doing the North Korea documentary, it takes two years. I'm constantly being like, what the hell am I, like, I don't, what am I even doing, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't even know. And very gradually, incrementally, you get better at knowing when, when those good ideas bubble up from the ether. You don't know where yeah. they come from knowing when they're good and when to follow them. But, but right? like, so you, I just get this idea of like, I, like, people need to know this guy's story. Yeah, well how did, you, how did you decide on the, like the five principles? Like walk us through some of those principles and you know. Well what people need to know if they don't, I mean I don't want to ruin too much of the story, yeah. but the idea being, okay, there's the modern man, yeah. they feel failed by their culture, yeah. they're right, yeah. right? If you are sad and lost and sexless and starved by debt and have a bunch of degrees that you were told would ensure your life in the middle class and mm -hmm. it turns out that they're just, they're, they're an albatross around your neck or whatever, yeah. what does the culture have to feed for you? Either mm -hmm. uh, you're inherently toxic mm -hmm. and, uh, and predatory because of your masculinity mm -hmm. or numb yourself with infinite digital delights, mm -hmm. just like basically just play Call of Duty for the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah. Or give yourself up to some totalizing political ideology on the left or the right, yeah. where it's not even about your individual accomplishments anymore. You can get a sense of belonging just by being really enthusiastic about Q, right? Yeah, or yeah. being really enthusiastic about BLM, yeah. right? And the whole idea is like, 
there have been men in our history that have carved out a better path. Mm -hmm. And he's one of them. Mm -hmm. And when I was road testing this idea, I would just tell random people, I'm doing this documentary about the Civil War. They'd be like, that sounds boring. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say, like, check it. Yeah, thanks, Ken Burns. Right? Yeah, 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 I know. Like, yeah, and like with slow motion yeah. pan-ins, like, yeah. who cares? Yeah. I'm like, how about this? 1854, Grant has just washed out of the Army for treating his like loneliness and depression with the standard issue self-care regime yeah. of the time, Alcohol. which is alcoholism. Yeah. Right? He slinks back to the Midwest and just tries anything to support himself, right? He tries being a farmer, he tries selling firewood, right? He runs for political office, fails at everything. Mm -hmm. A couple years later, after nothing but unbroken economic depravity, you can catch Ulysses S. Grant on the streets of small town Illinois, begging for work and pawning off his gold watch in order to buy Christmas presents for his kids, yeah. right? He does that for seven years. Eventually, he has to work as a junior clerk at his father's leather goods store, and his older brothers are his bosses. Yeah. Right? Civil War breaks out, 1861. Within four years, you know this, within four years, that same guy yeah. is the one guy who does the thing six previous Union commanders had failed at. Yeah which is defeat Robert E. Lee. What? And you're like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah. Like, and how come no one's ever told you that happened? Yeah, yeah. Like you took all those US history classes. Did anyone ever tell you or mm -hmm. pose that question to you? Mm -hmm. Like, how in God's name did that happen? Yeah. And I think the way we tried to structure it was we wanted to tell it in rough chronological order. Mm -hmm. And yet each one of the battles that we tell that kind of tracks his ascension mm -hmm. just embodies principles. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't want to give away. I don't want to give away all of them. Yeah. Let's say, but let's start. Let's do the siege of Petersburg. Let's, let's just give people. Yeah, let's give, give, give a taste. Give a right, taste. Just give Rob. a taste. Right. Don't be stingy. <laughs> right. So at that point, the siege of Petersburg. It's maybe four years afterwards, and at the time, this is kind of the second to last phase of the Civil War. Grant has successfully. Um, the initial plan after he's coming down from Richmond, and I know you know this, but I'm just telling this for the yeah, audience, yeah, no, right? His initial plan is to basically um, get in between Robert E. Lee and Richmond and choke off Robert E. Lee's supply lines, mm -hmm. right? So he's coming down and he's just basically trying to get around Lee and chop him off from Richmond. And he fails over repeatedly, repeatedly. Yeah. And he has to make, uh, like he has to on the fly improv, do some sort of improv strategic adaptation, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And he decides, well, you know what, if I can't get to Richmond, where does Richmond get their food from? Mm -hmm. And he tracks the supply line down to Petersburg, which is 75 miles away, and he ends up surrounding Petersburg, setting siege, trapping Robert E. Lee in Petersburg, and just basically starving him out. Yeah. So as I talk about in the doc, the initial plan was to cleanly defeat Robert E. Lee on the battlefield mm -hmm. with an epic vanquishing of the enemy. Yeah. Wasn't gonna work. Yeah. He has to adapt and he has a much less clean, mm -hmm. longer, more protracted mm -hmm. uh, strategy of basically saving the Union via starvation. Yeah. And part of the reason that Grant was able to do that and adapt in a way that his predecessors weren't is that he was totally egoless. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He doesn't he doesn't need there to be an epic victory in order to substantiate his self-conception mm -hmm. as a military genius. Yeah, yeah. Multiple predecessors of his oh did have that ego, <laughs> yeah, right? Oh, yeah. We talk yeah. about George McClellan, McClellan, but there's other examples as well. Oh, yeah, where Pope. They 
They yeah. would, they just absolutely refused to adapt because adapting yeah. would mean tossing aside this fantastical story they're telling themselves about themselves, yeah. right? Yeah. But Grant has killed the ego. Yeah. He's an egoless, empty vessel of adaptation, and he's able to change and maneuver and act fearlessly as a result, yeah. right? And the in case you're there, wondering, killing the ego is one of the five right. principles. So kill the ego, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but that's supposed to be, like, that is, that is a very specific... That is it. That and we tie it into some ancient Stoic principles, yeah. right? You know, yeah. there are. This people, is where the philosophy. Right. Major this comes is where in. people people yeah. have been talking about this for millennium, yeah. much more eloquently than I can. Yeah. But so, but that particular piece of advice runs counter to basically all currents in modern American culture, right? Yeah. Where everything mm -hmm. is about the celebration of the ego, and that if you feel sad or anxious, or listless, or aimless. Oh, it's yeah. just because you have been insufficiently affirmed. Yeah. It's because you don't <laughs> believe in yourself enough. Yeah. And you need to be more aggressive on social media requesting affirmation. And yeah. if you just get enough likes and shares, you'll finally not be depressed. Yeah. And it, that just like, that is a flawed conception of human flourishing. Yeah, yeah. And it, um, and there's also, there's ego in, in action, too. Mm -hmm that people that are sad can still suffer from a narcissism where they don't want to they don't want to actually try anything because it means that it they might not prove to be as smart mm -hmm. as they thought they were at yeah. least on the first try right yeah yeah they they might have to risk failure mm -hmm. right and risking failure would mean potentially putting this well, putting this self conception at risk and and it's it's amazing cuz i i mean i think that's right and um, i remember when you know, when I was growing up, because I was growing up right after, it was probably during when they were pushing the whole self-esteem thing, right? Self-esteem right. is really important. And I grew up with parents who were like, yeah, if you want good self-esteem, you should probably do something, I don't know, worthy of having good self-esteem. Right. earn it. Yeah, yeah, earn it, right? And, and I'll never forget, you know, then becoming a parent and the first time I take my kids, you know, to their, their soccer game. And, you know, all the, all the little parents are there. And kids are asking, like, well, what's the score? Who's winning? Oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who's win as long as you're having right. a good time. And then there's my kid. My son walks up to me. He's like, hey, Daddy, did I do a good job? No, son, you didn't. <laughs> and, and, and he looks at me, and I'm like, I said, he goes, but Daddy, you know, we won the game. I said, son, you were running around. You were picking up flowers. You really weren't paying attention, and you took four breaks. You pretty much showed up to this game for the orange slices. Yeah. I said... Sound so, like my dad. <laughs> I said, so, so no, you didn't do a good job even though your team won. And other parents are looking at me like, who is this horrible human being? But then it's like two games later, he's out there, he's running his butt off, he's working hard, and then he's frustrated. And he comes over and I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? He goes, well, we lost. I said, yeah, and that's frustrating. I said, but you actually went out there and did everything you could to win this game. I'm proud yeah. of you for that. I'm proud of you for working hard, for not letting yourself down and not letting your teammates down. And you just saw his, his whole conception change. And again, it, I didn't even, it's not like I set out with some sort of special intention here. It was, it was the way I remember being raised was this idea that, yeah, winning's important. But being dedicated to something and working hard and failing is not something to be ashamed of, provided that you're continuing to get back up and continuing to work. And like you said, I feel like we have frozen people in this this idea where, one, they have a they have a right not only to, you know, <laughs> life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They have the right to the provision of happiness 
as a right. mental state at all times. And if they're not happy, then something in society has gone horribly wrong. wrong. Something structurally wrong. Yeah, structurally wrong. wrong. And oh my gosh, you poor little deer. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't just despise this because I think it creates weak people. Um, I despise this because I feel like it robs them of the very things that typically provide meaning in life, which is overcoming challenges and struggles to take care of yourself, your family, your friends, your community. Um, I, I think that's the, one of the things I love so much about your five points in there. And again, I'm not gonna go into the other five points. You wanna see what they are? Incel the Icon, Good Kid Productions. As soon as you're done watching here, you we'll go put the over link. there, we'll put the YouTube, someplace. like and subscribe. Um, but it does, it does a great job. I, some people would read, some people might watch that and be like, my gosh, that's really hard. Yeah, that was the point. It was really hard and this guy stood up and you don't get to claim. You know, you look at Grant's like, you don't get to claim it was because of privilege. You don't get to claim because he was born into some sort of special circumstance and quite frankly, I don't care if he was, it was still incredible what he did. It was more about the idea of making a decision that something needed to be done and they were gonna go and do it. And yeah. they were gonna keep doing it. Yeah, and you know, Peterson's really good at this point. Yeah. And this, he's very good at diagnosing, it's just a, a blazingly obvious fact though, mm -hmm. that the people that propound that philosophy of, you just need to extinguish from your environment anything that might make you feel uncomfortable, yeah. right? <laughs> Everybody who propounds that yeah. that theory, or who sits and, and sits and in that kind of cultural milieu, mm -hmm. and they're supposedly like diabolically fixated on making sure the environment is perfect for their happiness. Yeah. Every yeah. single one of them that lives in that environment is totally miserable. Oh yeah, absolutely. They're all miserable. Yeah. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. It just does not work. Like it very clearly doesn't work. And Peterson's very good at talking about how if someone is miserable and depressed and anxious mm -hmm. and aimless, it's actually oddly cruel just to try to solve their problem by complimenting them. Yeah. Because when you compliment someone and you say you're perfect the way you are, mm -hmm. you rob them of the chance you rob them of the chance to do something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Where you rob them of their agency. Right. But it's also like they, they don't have anything to do now. They're like, yeah. I'm miserable, but someone just told me that there's nothing wrong with me. Mm -hmm. So I guess I just need to sit and soak in my misery until mm. it magically dissipates. It's yeah. like what or, or go find some politician that says, it's not your fault, but elect me, put me in power, and I'll punish all the bad people that are keeping you down. I know, but I, I, I mean, I don't know, because I'm approaching 40, and it's yeah. just my, like, genetically, it's my destiny now to get crotchety and complain <laughs> ceaselessly about American culture. I'm not saying this actually comes Back from deep philosophical was, yeah. investigation, yeah, yeah. but there is, like, an epidemic yeah. of people refusing to take responsibility for any aspect yeah. of their life. Yeah. And I'm saying this is of any political persuasion. Oh, yeah. I mean, I do not think yeah. that this is something that is exclusively of the woke no, left. I see no, plenty no, of no. this in Trump supporters and other people that get, like, there's just a lot of this where it's it's everybody's fault but my own. Yeah, yeah. And the Peterson thing, I think part of the reason it resonates with people is he says you can start developing a sense of agency from even the most minor and seemingly trivial actions, like actions of self-control. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. why it starts like, just make your bed. Yeah, just right? make your bed, yeah. Right? It's like, I, still well, haven't, I still haven't gotten to that one yet. <laughs> I, come on, bro. That's the fifth principle. Yeah. <laughs> Where, well, I, where he's I, like, and, and like, and then you build from there. You yeah. build certain rhythms of self-authorship. Yeah, and it's yeah. a perpetual process, mm -hmm. and it's and it, it is remarkable how quickly people can be 
illuminated by that process, yeah. like enlivened by that process. Yeah. You know? well, and I, I think it's also interesting to see the pushback. When, when people do purvey that philosophy of saying, look, you, you, you know, take responsibility and then take action. Um, and then when, when people start to get that, I mean, I think that God-given sense of, yeah, you, you were created to be productive. You were created to be creative. So go do those things. Yeah. And, and just because someone else has more, just because someone else has different talents, it's, it's not about constantly comparing yourself to every other human being out there. It's about finding that thing. I mean, the reason why I love the concept of liberty is because it comes with personal responsibility. It, it's not an end state in and of itself as much as it is the, the environment that you now get to move in to find out where your gifts are, where your strengths yeah. are, um, and, and how not only how that benefits you, but how that connects and, and breathes like life and hope into other people as well by just doing it. Right. And I would say the one other thing of just ultra earnest advice for people that maybe see are kind of in that stuck phase yeah. is you do not need to know where it's heading to yeah. start taking action. Yes. I can assure you, I can assure you when I'm 27 <laughs> yeah. and I get $2,000 to make my, my Juje Strong North Korean documentary and I'm, I'm a philosophy major who's been roundhouse kicked repeatedly by reality, I had no idea where it would lead to. Yeah, I, yeah. I did not predict 11 years from now, I'm gonna have my own channel and I'll be discussing Ulysses Grant and Kanye West, <laughs> like state house <laughs> representative, like you yeah. do not know. Yeah, yeah. You're basically like just, you should err on the side of taking action mm -hmm. and be focused on process, not outcome, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like focus on the things you control on a daily basis. Yeah. And it's so simple. Yeah. Um, and it's so unsexy, yeah. and it doesn't fit on a Hallmark card. Like, it's not going to be one of the inspiring quotes. <laughs> yeah, there's no motivational right, poster yeah, yeah. that's going to be made it's out like, of this. do yeah. the daily, grimy, yeah. Yeah. habitual work of incrementally advancing your life towards some vague vision of the yeah. good. Well, but I, it turns out that actually is the case, and people yeah. have, like... I mean, like people from many different spiritual traditions have found this out all, yeah. like, many different ways. Well, I think it's, and you and I have worked with some of the same people yeah. that we, we found out, you know, later. And, and it was in it, because I think you're right, it's, it's one of those things where um, there, there's always an opportunity somewhere. The question is, is whether or not you're going to actually seize that opportunity and do something with it. Even like to your point, yeah. you don't know what this means 20 years from now. You, you know what to. it means maybe 10 minutes from now. And, and, and it is shocking to me because if you would ask me when I was you know, graduating high school, what are you gonna do? Oh, it was easy, I was gonna be in the military. Yeah. Uh, and I loved being in the military, but it, and then if you were gonna ask, oh, and then you're gonna end up traveling everywhere from Bangladesh to Korea to Iraq and it, as part of a special operations unit, oh, and then when you get back, you're gonna end up you know, being in the state legislature. Like, none of this have been like, ah, probably not. Um, but, and, and then now, doing interviews like this and talking with people. Uh, but it is amazing how taking action, even in some of the most minor ways, with different opportunities to become available, build on other ones. I wanna talk, about, yeah. since we already mentioned it, I've got to, I, we've gotta cover this before we leave. I know we're running a little bit late, but um, there's no way I'm letting you get out of here without explaining the real reasons behind Kanye West <laughs> run for president, because when I, when I first saw that, again, I watched the Ulysses S. Grant one, I'm thinking, this is great, spot on. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope he does a lot of these. Like, I can't wait to see the one about, you Yeah, know, you whatever. wanted one about Sherman. I'm like, no, no, no I did not, I'm not, I, I, I live in Virginia, there's no way I'm asking right, for good one. Good point, good point. <laughs> yeah. uh, but no, I, I'm like, I wanted, I wanted 
see the one that's, you know, Frederick the Great or the one that is, you know, whatever, Shaka Zulu. Like, I can't wait to see that's the other. That's what I gave you. You just didn't know it when you yeah, were Yeah, I can't wait to see the other know, bro. historical figures that you're going to, you know, use. And, and I love that. But then again, I come to this Kanye West one and I'm thinking to myself, why would anybody analyze why Kanye West wanted to run for president? It's clearly because he's just a, you know, unhinged, ego, maniacal narcissist. And, um, and, and again, I think, and, and I, I actually felt guilty for thinking that after I watched your video because it was, it's not that the world has, it's not that Hollywood is short on egomaniacal, narcissistic, you know, people, but to not even take a moment and ask, why did he do this? I mean, it was really just to sell a record because he was making a whole series of decisions where if you really think about it, if he wanted to sell records, that was not the thing to do. Of course not. Um, the associations he was making with Trump, that was not the thing to do. It was do. an enormously risky thing to do. Yeah. And it so, cost him nothing to go in a Black Lives Matter protest. It cost yeah. him nothing. So, like Jay-Z, Beyonce, it cost so, them nothing. So again, I, as I, after I get done watching, I'm thinking to myself, my gosh, there was a lot of really good takeaways from this. And, and specifically the takeaway that you came up with, and I think you justified really well, was really interesting to me. But what possessed you? To go from the siege of Petersburg to, hey, why'd this Kanye guy run for come, president? Come on, man. There's no father to the style of Good Kid Productions. <laughs> Wherever the muse takes me. Come on, man. Wherever the muse takes me. That was a drunk. That muse was high. Like, uh, yeah, I know. Uh, well, the last, like, 12 months or so have really been just a complete shattering of even last shreds of faith I had in like standard issue corporate media yeah. to cover anything. I just do not trust them. Yeah. And again, maybe this is, which is what happens when you're 40 and you're a registered Republican, you just have to start complaining about the New York <laughs> Times every 36 hours. I can't yeah. help it. Yeah. I can't yeah. help it. Yeah. <laughs> but all it took was like maybe one news cycle um, of coverage, like, uh, one new cycle of coverage of some particular outburst of Kanye's and the yeah. way that it's presented. And they're just going to the tape and actually watching what he said. Mm -hmm. And again, he's kind of an erratic guy, yeah. obviously, maybe not totally chemically stable. Mm -hmm. um, I happen to think that he's a musical genius and he's produced unbelievable amounts of beauty. Like a lot of people that produce a lot of artistic beauty have chemical imbalances. Mm -hmm. This is not, mm -hmm. he's also extraordinarily intelligent, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, would, I would say this. I don't want to, the, the Kanye documentary is about how the simulation, I'm not going to define that for everybody, but the yeah. simulation doesn't want you to know an essential feature of him, which is that he is the ultimate agent of anti-wokeness. Mm -hmm. That all this woke hyper-victimization stuff that has now just become standard issue dogma that you have to parrot if you expect to have a yeah. kind of mainstream media career he represents like an existential threat to all of that yeah. because he has impeccable art. Well, I don't, yeah, he has impeccable artistic rep. He's worth several billion dollars. Mm -hmm. He's extraordinarily smart and he's willing to flagrantly call it into question and criticize yeah. it. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, let's, let's, let's just whet people's appetite in the sense that Kanye spent his entire career being called crazy. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. you just, again, uh, if you go into his history when he was first starting his career, mm -hmm. he's this dork who was, he was a mama's boy. Yeah. He had adult braces. He spent his ninth grade year in China 
-hmm. as an exchange student when his mom his mom is a, a like a, a tenured academic he didn't live like he had no street cred whatsoever mm -hmm. and he decides that he wants to be a rapper he's a dork he's probably mildly aspergery and he spends the first couple years of his 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 professional journey just being told by basically every major record label, you're absolutely insane for wanting to try to be a rapper. Mm -hmm. You're insane. Prove those people wrong. Yeah. After he establishes himself as a musician, he says that he wants to go into fashion. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't want to do cynical celebrity brand deals where he just puts his name on yeah. something, yeah. right? That he actually wants to design sneakers from top to bottom. And he ends up uh, incinerating his commercial partnership with Nike because they won't give him creative freedom. And he signs with Adidas. Mm -hmm. And at the time, everyone's like, who in their right mind mm -hmm. would leave the brand of Air Jordans mm -hmm. to go try to design their own sneakers? He starts this company called Yeezy. It's a unicorn, meaning between you know year zero and year five, it goes from a $0 valuation to a billion dollar valuation. <laughs> and right now, yeah. Yeezy products, you can sell hoodies for $600 and they will sell out in 12 hours. You know, it's like, so uh, the Yeezy brand is, he, he just released a Yeezy Gap, th th their first item of their joint partnership and it sold out in like 12 minutes and yeah. it's, this, uh, it's this sweater that doesn't have any buttons or zippers on it. It looks ridiculous and people <laughs> can't get enough of it. Yeah. So anyway, he also, a lot of his musical background for people maybe that aren't as familiar with his discography, a lot of what he would do is sort of blending different worlds, different artists that everyone would say couldn't possibly go together, yeah, right? It's yeah. so like having Elton John and some underground rapper you've never heard on in the same song, yeah. right? It's like that you would never combine those two things. That's yeah. insane. Yeah. And that and every single time it resulted in like transcendent aesthetic beauty, right? Yeah. So the point is, Kanye's been called crazy his entire life. Mm -hmm. It wasn't new for him to be called crazy when he ran for president. Obviously, he didn't receive the ultimate vindication of winning the White House. <laughs> I don't think that was ever the point, yeah, right? Yeah. But, I mean, he's, there are, uh, he provided very clear articulations as to what was motivating him to run. Yeah. Those motivations represent a direct threat to the woke orthodoxy that is now being pumped into people 24 hours mm -hmm, a day. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason that that orthodoxy, that, that, that media conglomerate had a vested interest in him being marginalized as yeah. crazy. Yeah. And people need to watch the documentary if they're still skeptical. They right? do. Uh, they, Come they on do. now, more great men. Oh no, they do. You, you, won't, you won't regret it. <laughs> uh, the, watching the whole documentary, I, I, the, the part that really sticks with me is you know, when Kanye's sitting there going, you're looking at a free man. And when you think about what the orthodoxy has tried to do to him. Come on now. It's, you, it really, that really rings true. It's like, oh man, you, you are and they don't like it. You are looking at a free man and they don't like it. They, there is, um, yeah, man, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, again, obviously I find him to be like just a deeply inspiring figure and mm -hmm. I attempt to emulate a lot of what he's done artistically. I think, mm -hmm. in, I think just in like the raw craftsmanship, what we're mm -hmm. trying to do a good kid is trying to take different aesthetic elements you wouldn't think could go together and trying to blend them into a yeah, new beautiful yeah, whole, right? Yeah. Like, let's use like obscure 90s rap beats in my <laughs> mini doc about Ulysses Grant. <laughs> like, why not? Who says you can't do it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sometimes we try that in the editing suite 
and we look at it and we're like, oh, there's a reason people said not to do that because that looks horrible. But sometimes it's a more beautiful hole. Sometimes yeah, you're synthesizing yeah. new beauty that was just left on the table yeah. because everybody was confined by the orthodox. Well, it, it's just it's just like a cook that's mixing in a new spice with a new dish that nobody thought was possible. The next thing you know, it tastes It's beautiful. delicious, right? Yeah, yeah. But I would say the one last thing I want to say just for, it won't be excessive you know, self-promotion for Good Kid, but the Kanye, and we have a bunch of awesome stuff coming yeah. out through the rest of the year, is those are basically the two prongs of our mission, which yeah. is the Kanye doc represents us trying to do like a muscular, provocative critique of woke orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. And then the Grant documentary is trying to articulate, well, what does the good life look like mm -hmm. outside of ideological capture, yeah. right? So it's like the positive vision and the critique mm -hmm. is what we're trying to do, yeah. you know? And we're ever evolving. Well, look, I gotta say, from what I've seen so far, I think you're doing an incredible job. And, and so here's what I'm gonna tell you to do. <clears throat> Again, you're gonna go to Good Kid Productions on, I know you guys are on YouTube, know you're on Facebook. Where else are you guys at? I said goodkidproductions.com. Good, goodkidproductions.com. You can sign up everything, be on our, our newsletter. So here, and you guys, look, my whole audience has heard me talk about this before, I'm gonna reiterate it again. And you, you know, we talked a little bit about it with the whole idea of like there, there's a certain media mainstream and they've got a particular narrative that they're going to push. And we've already seen it, whether it's something like Kanye, whether it's something like woke culture, whether it's, you know, whatever it is, there's already a predetermined spin that you're being given. And you have people like Rob, like Good Kid Productions that are stepping forward. And, and again, it, it's not like you're shoving something down anybody's throat. It's more of like, here's a different way to look at something. Here's some different perspectives. And, and one of the things you said that I really appreciate is that there's a critique, but there's also an answer. It's not just this sucks. It's this sucks yeah. and you know what, this doesn't. This, this, is, this is good, this is beautiful, this is noble. And if you want more people that are actually willing to put in the time, you know, that, that, leave, you know, that leave jobs and careers and what they had in order to do something that they think is valuable, that they think is necessary, and deserves a story that deserves to be told, they need support. And, and right now it's as easy as like, subscribe, share. It's that easy. So go to Good Kid Productions on YouTube, go to good, goodkidproductions.com, like, share, subscribe, put this out there, watch these videos, and then give us some feedback. When you come in here watching our show on Making the Argument, um, leave some comments for me, leave some comments for Rob, uh, because again, I'm, I'm really excited about what they're doing. Like the moment, a friend introduced us, I called real quick, he said, yeah, watch this movie on Grant. I said, okay, I'll get around to it. And for the next, I don't know how much time, I'm sitting there watching not only that, but all the other stuff he's got on his channel. It really is intriguing and compelling and, and hits from a different perspective. So Rob, thank you very much for joining us. I'm making the argument. Thank you for having me. I yeah. can't imagine a better uh, way to talk about my stuff, man. I appreciate it. I'm a decent thank hype you. man. If you ever need That's a hype good, man. That's good, man. That was I good. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm Nick Freitas with Making the Argument. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next episode. Once again, thank you very much for listening. If you want to support the show, again, one of the best ways you can do it is by heading over to GoodRanchers.com with promo code Nick. You're going to get $15 off. You sign up for one of those subscriptions, and you're going to get up to $480 of free meat with that subscription. You get to pick top sirloin, salmon, chicken breast, bacon. It is all up to you. Plus, if you're looking for gifts to get for the people that are impossible to shop for, GoodRanchers.com also has gift boxes. You need to act quick. This is part of their overall Black Friday special. So head on over to goodranchers.com, use promo code Nick, and once again, thank you for listening.